0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Listening, hear me. I may not pass this way again. Hello, and welcome to the Robert Lane Creative Careers Podcast, the podcast about creativity and making a living in the arts. This episode of the podcast features a conversation with improviser, writer and performer, Pippa Evans. Before we hear my conversation with Pippa, I'd just like to play you a bit of this. It's my new song, A Lover or a Friend, which is only available to download and stream on Bandcamp. I've chosen Bandcamp because I feel they're the best streaming site, and they've also done a lot to help artists during the pandemic. Find more information about this song and the other projects that I'm working on at robertlaymusic.co.uk. Thank you. A lover or a friend Someone to tell your lies to now That the night has grown so cold A keepsake or a land, It makes no difference to you now that your heart has been I'm on a mission to help you unlock your creativity. I'm sharing my journey as a musician, actor and writer, as well as offering online content like guitar and songwriting tutorials and chat about creativity. I'm doing this because I know how important creativity is for mental health, and I believe everyone has a creative spirit. I want to help you find yours. Join me at UK and on social media as Robert Music. Thank you. Hi Pippa, how are you?
1: I'm very good. I'm sat on my carpet, <laughs> which is on my floor. Um, it's not rolled up. And uh, and um, the sun is shining. So that always makes everything better. And uh, yeah, am feeling pretty chipper for someone locked in their house.
0: <laughs> that's good. It's getting so used to it, I suppose. Whereabouts are you in the world? Where is home?
1: So I'm in Stockwell in South London. Um, it's... So here's an interesting fact. Uh it uh it's actually so it's called Stockwell because it's where there used to be a well where people would bring their stock I to see. have a drink.
0: Some of these uh, stories are so impossible to believe, aren't
1: they? <laughs> well I the reason I find it interesting is because like nothing happens in Stockwell, really, in terms of like <laughs> it's a it's a travelling through place. People go, Oh, is that near Clapham? Is that near Brixton? Is that near Vauxhall? And um and, it, and that's because people their animals passing through to those more substantial places. Mm. So anyway, I don't know why I decided to say that, but uh, I so thought it was
0: a commuter livestock. town for livestock. That's cool.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like a holiday inn for
0: livestock. <laughs> Great. And what is sort of a normal day looking like at the moment for you then? Because you were involved in so much live performance, I think, up until I mm. guess March last year. In fact, I was um, just watching the uh, the live stream that happened on the. The last night of uh, the showstopper when you couldn't do it. Oh, yeah. But you were all set, ready yeah. to go. So you did it as a live stream, which did that seem like quite a novelty that first night. And then you've had to sort of do more.
1: Yeah, because we um, so we were backstage and they said we're going to we have to close. The theatre said we have to close. We can't let the audience come in. And they, I think they announced mm. that at six o'clock and the show was supposed to be at half past seven and i just went mm. let's live let's just live stream it let's live stream something because we're here and we're the only show in the west end who can do that because we we don't have any legal rights there's no yeah. no one owns this other than us and it's made up so um, yeah but i mean if you watch it you can kind of see that we we're, we're kind of in a panic straight and also we're so used to live streaming now like every the, the two guys holding the cameras the phones they're holding them up la- um portrait instead of landscape we all know that's that's illegal in live streaming so um so yeah very very funny learning lessons but yeah it was really funny and now of course we've got this incredible setup which um andrew pugsley one of our team uh created where we improvised musicals but we're sat in, we're sat in full like chairs with our with a camera on our face so it's a completely different way of doing it um yes that's that's live streaming but my day <laughs> <laughs> just the actual question <laughs> but like you say this, so yeah so i didn't have any live work and then i was very lucky to to be offered to write a book so i wrote a book about improv during lockdown which meant just getting up every day and sitting and writing um which is very disciplined actually um and i was grateful for it because to be honest it is hard i think it's very hard to be inspired in this time Mm-hmm. especially when we're only if particularly in this lock time that lockdown time if if you're just in your one space you're looking at the same thing you can't have like a holiday in the diary not even like a weekend in brighton um so that that's so I think that's that's hard so so most so, but my husband's very good my husband has a what I call a normal job and he has to get up so mm-hmm. I have to get up so that's good sometimes we do a joe wicks sometimes I go for a run Sometimes nice. I say I'm not doing either of those things. I'm going to lie in line bed. <laughs> uh, and, then, and then I tend to – I've been reading a lot recently um, or writing. And then we say, what should we have for lunch? And then we have lunch. And then I say, I'm going to do some more reading or I'm going to do some writing. And then we say, what should we have for dinner?
0: <laughs>
1: and then we generally um, – Watch an episode of Friends, which we seem to have rewatched the whole of during lockdown. Um, um, we've gone definitely into a nineties safety cocoon.
0: Mm. I was going to ask you all about writing a book and stuff, but let's talk about Friends. Uh, when you oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> when you rewatch those now, they're still great, I think, or most of them are. But it's that whole how the zeitgeist thing has changed, hasn't it? There's some. Very interesting things in Friends that I kind of had forgotten until rewatching it as a sort of person in their thirties. It's do you, see, you know what I mean. So like the whole, it's slightly homophobic sometimes, isn't it? And oh, I wouldn't say slightly, even. Okay, it's out there.
1: Um, yeah, yeah. It's um, it's uh, no. So it's a brilliant, hilarious. The comedy is. Brilliant. It's really well written. I love them as a group of people. The performances are
0: great, always, aren't they?
1: I think Phoebe is the most brilliant character. Um, and what I love about Phoebe is she's completely bonkers, but she completely belongs. Um, I've just rewatched the episode with the Christmas trees where she gets upset that Christmas trees, like old ones, go in the chipper. Yeah. And the episode ends, spoiler alert, uh, with <laughs> them getting. All of the old Christmas trees and bringing them into Monica's flat so that they're, they're all saved and get their Christmas dream. Mm. And it really moved me watching it, re watching it. Because I was like, yeah, that is a group of friends who think their friend is bonkers, but love her so much, they're mm. going to fill their flat with trees. And I thought, wow, that's beautiful. But the, um, yeah, the homophobia is really interesting. And I suppose, again, work, uh, growing up in the 90s, I'm like, yeah, I remember that. Mm. I remember that being the joke you're gay um and it's so prevalent so it's not even like um it's not it's not even like oh we're doing an edgy gay joke it's like two men touch i mean they literally touch. they put their hands on each other mm. um chandler and um joey mostly and and then they go oh god no people oh. and it's just an implied punchline of people will think yeah they're gay. yeah
0: it's, interesting. Because, yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting as well because it's not all oh, we laugh at them because they can't handle; they're they're not in touch with their how they feel about things. We're no. not laughing at them. It's literally, oh, that's funny. The two men have touched, and we almost think that's strange. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's yeah.
0: weird, isn't it? But this is this is the way things change, isn't it? Does that ever cross your mind with stuff that you improvise, like stuff that you might do? Off the top of your head, not that you're a raging homophobe, obviously, but there might be something that you say. Maybe you are. We've only just met. I don't know. Is there something <laughs> that you might say in a show that, sort of, ten or fifteen years later? Do you see what I mean? Or just in general, with things that we yeah, write, yeah, no, and create no, no, I know exactly what
1: you I mean. I mean, the good thing about it is it disappears. Yeah. So I can have a horrible memory of things that have been said <laughs> or done on a stage, but I don't have to have it replayed, which is, you know, a real gift and and I say that all um of the t- at the time it might not have been something that we would have considered rude or or racist or homophobic or whatever um but now you know as we learn and as we grow we suddenly go, oh my god, these things that we thought were innocent things aren't innocent mm. things um so I'm just thinking I'm thinking and I'm thinking about homophobia in the term in just in terms of when we first started it would always be heterosexual relationships. Mm -hmm. And then if there were two men kissing, usually if two men got together, that would be a massive, it would be a punchline and it wouldn't necessarily be intended as a punchline, but the audience would laugh if two men kissed. Um, So we actually work to make sure that actively, if we had, a homoph- hom- homophobic relationship I was about to say homosexual relationship <laughs> that it wasn't uh that it was done with genuine love and um commitment rather than look at me I'm playing someone who's gay um and mm. I think because we are as a group pretty heteronormative so um so yeah just checking in all oh, well, these things that we don't even think we do but we might do them or we might do them without thinking that we're doing them. Mm. Mm. yeah
0: it's interesting isn't it because obviously we never quite know how the zeitgeist is going to change with things that are that are current anyway that's the problem in it we like to think that we're very knowledgeable and we're so much brighter and well-educated compared to our predecessors but of course we're not really because things change and things move i guess
1: yeah and you, well if you think in many ways the friends is really f- um, forward in so many ways in terms mm. of like You could say, in terms of like feminism, they're strong women. They're talking about their sex lives. They're, they yeah, they've got their their careers. You know, that's very nineties feminism. Um, However, the ending when Ross says, "Don't go to Paris, Rachel, and follow your dreams. Stay here with me," and she says, "Okay." I I, rewatching that is just heartbreaking. Going, oh my god, how many people has this program trained into thinking that actually? You can follow your dreams, but the most important thing is to have a man on your arm. Yeah. Um so so that so that's kind of fascinating that it was ground it was groundbreaking. And yet when we look back at it, we go, Oh gosh, I wonder because you remember how many people watched that show? It was massive. That its impact is huge. Ross is a horrible man, like he's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> he's the worst boyfriend. He's so jealous and childish. And mm. um and I think, God, but I watched that when I was a teenage girl. I'm sure I would have thought that was okay that's what love is it's being it's having someone being paranoid and um obsessed with you mm. that's messed up in it
0: yeah it is a bit it's for me it's mm. the Chandler. so watching it when i'm at the time it's like Chandler's so cool he's so funny and then you just think what a pain in the ass he'd be to be around all the just have a fucking conversation would you without any of this gagging you loser but yeah i love Chandler
1: so much (laughs) and i don't find him annoying at all but um i tell you what's really distressing watching it is now we know that matthew perry at that time was going through a massive um drug Mm. addiction and you watch it Mm. back and you're like he is so unwell and he says Mm. he doesn't remember two years of friends because he was just on um was he on amphetamines i think um but um, yeah, you just watch it going, this poor man is suffering, and we were just mm. going, oh, it's so fun, funny. and the studio, and the studio would have just been covering it up because that's what you, that's what you do, you know. And um, you know, I wonder how much you could could hold them accountable as well. Mm. But anyway, mm. this great. Anyway, friends, <laughs> but it's still worth watching because it is very comforting, and there's lots of hilarity in it. I think, and I think it's one of those ones where it's like. It, you don't need to stop watching it. You need to be aware of what you're watching in terms of the things that have changed.
0: And for jokes per scene as well, it always seems like it's still a, a pretty high hit rate, I think.
1: Oh, incred- incredible level of jokes, an incredible level of hilarious jokes, not, uh-huh, it's quite funny. Yeah. yeah. Like, ah! <laughs>
0: <laughs> Great, okay, so with the book then, was this um, was it a project that you had in mind for a while or was it an approach and, and that somebody came with or...?
1: Oh well, it was um it was, so I've been working with improvisation for fifteen years as a professional, but I've been studying it for about twenty. And um and the thing I love about it is how much it teaches about excuse me, I just had to burp. Um how much it teaches us about how to how to get get through and embrace life. So even the fact that I started saying get through is is not quite what I mean. It's like be in life rather than mm-hmm. um trying to get life right <laughs> let's get life right um so i've been teaching the a course called improv your life for uh for seven or eight years and then um people had said we'd love you to write a book and i said yeah i should write a book and then i just never got around to writing the book or i'd start doing it and go that's hard <laughs> <laughs> and then um and then I was just very, very fortunate that um, Hodder Books got in touch with my agent before, just before lockdown and mm-hmm. said, I don't suppose any of your clients want to write a book about something. And I was like, me! And so literally a week into lockdown or two weeks in, they said, we'd love you to write this book. And what a gift that was because, as you've already said, I used to do a huge amount of live work. Mm-hmm. And that's all been taken away. So I was given something to focus on and to be able to do in that time. Uh, And it was something I wanted to do rather than, okay, I'm going to have to do this to pay my bills. It was like, oh, here's this amazing coincidence, synchronicitous opportunity.
0: Fantastic. And it's, you know, I've spoken to so many people for this who've sort of said the same kind of thing that lockdown obviously has been uh, hard and shit, but it has allowed them to do Some projects that wouldn't have happened otherwise. I guess this might have happened eventually otherwise, but having that block of time to do it, I guess, was very helpful.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, it's a block of time and also um, because the the problem is even if so, because my husband said he said, "I I don't know if you'd be able to write this book if even if they'd offered you this book and the pandemic had never happened, I don't think you would have made proper enough time for it. I think you would have been mm. like, yeah, 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 yeah. I'll, I'll, write. I'll write in the morning and in the <laughs> afternoon I'll go and do the, and in the evening I'll, and I uh, would have been trying to force it, squish it in. So just having the gift of time for it was, yeah, absolute a godsend. And and that's the thing about about the pandemic is it's been, like you said, shit, but we have to, we have, we have to for our sanity, look to it and say right okay what was it what was good what was helpful what was what did I what did I gain from it mm-hmm. um just because otherwise we'll be going I lost a year of my life it's like well no I lost a year of live work but I got space to write a book mm.
0: and the improv your life element then so I, I've been involved with sort of some improv and stuff around here in Birmingham so like short form games night like type stuff and then at one point I was involved with a group who were doing long form improvised. Musicals, actually, and Sherlock Holmes stories and Charles Dickens and all this kind of stuff. Um, and I was doing it as an actor and as a musician because I knew that it would provide some of the useful skills for me or encourage some useful abilities. And it has in everyday life partly this fact of however bad things go... It will probably be okay because I've been on stage in those situations where it's gone very, very badly, and it's like it's okay. (laughs) You can either get past it or it doesn't matter. So that that in itself has been useful. Are those the kind of life skills that you're discussing in the book?
1: Um, yeah, exactly. So there, you can look at it sort of on two levels, if you like. You can look at it on the level of create idea creation you know so that kind of being productive so you can think of it if you know if you work in a creative industry or um you work in a, a job where you're constantly having to come up with new, new ideas about things. And yeah, improv is the best gift you could ever learn because it, it's so helpful in that sense. But I think a lot of work is done on like how it's helpful in a work sense, but um, in a sort of bigger um, embrace, all in, expansive sense, sense, improv just teaches you to keep expanding your boundary lines, like, okay, and checking in, what what am I saying yes to? What am I mm. saying no to? um how am i responding to people's offers so um anyone who's not done improv will not uh, the, the shorthand for what someone says to you is an offer so if i say hello mr butcher six sausages please my offer is you are now a butcher and i would like six sausages um so yeah how do we respond to those, off- those offers and we talk about blocking you know which is where you just go i'm not a i'm not a butcher i'm i'm your mother go to bed <laughs> You've been naughty. (laughs) Um, That's a block. I've denied your reality. Um, And uh, also just standing and being frozen. Like, why am I, you know, we freeze because we don't think we can think of anything because we don't trust ourselves. So Mm. a lot of it, a lot of improvisation is about learning to trust yourself, trust your ideas, trust your gut, like, I don't know if you had this experience when you were improvising, um, but that moment, we're like, I know I need to leave the stage, but I, for some reason, I'm not going to. I'm just going to stand here and die slowly (laughs) inside. yeah and yeah. yeah and so and and like, again in life happens all the time we're like i need to leave i need to leave this relationship i need to leave this job i need to literally leave this party it doesn't have to be as big as those other examples um, but i'm going to stay here for another hour and a half and um slightly die inside um so <laughs> so just being able to learn to trust your skills and your gut is is a wonderful thing that improv can give you
0: mm. so a big moment for me once when i was doing some improv was. This, this block of saying the first thing that comes into your head, it's like, well, you've thought of it, so it must be really obvious. It's not going to interest anybody. And somebody said to me, no, actually, your obvious isn't the same as somebody else's obvious. And particularly right. if you work with quite a diverse group of people, what they're going to say that comes first into their head will be completely different to what you'd have thought. And I'm always sort of second-guessing that, certainly as a... As a music performer, as well, you kind of feel you can read an audience and know what they're thinking. But there's a danger in that, isn't there? Because you don't know what an individual's thinking. And really, you should, the only way to find out is to do something and see what they react. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And um, so in my book, there's a whole chapter called Follow Your Obvious. And that's that's really, it's a really good point, like, because your obvious is not someone else's obvious. And also, if you follow your obvious, the audience can see why you've made that move, even if they don't even understand it. Like, so even if, um, if you if I said banjo, uh, uh, and you your response was um, tree, because it's true to you, I would I would be able to see that you have a connection between those two things, right? Whereas if you go, if I say banjo, and you go tree. Oh god! And then you go into your head uh, and think, okay, well, what should I say that's really clever? Oh, Steve Martin, <laughs> right? Um, so because of this big gap where you've tried to think of something clever, you've lost mm. the connection with the performer and the audience because we've seen you go into a space where you're saying, I must get it right. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So so I think following your obvious is really important. And, and the fact that I think one of the most magical things, like you say, if you work with a diverse group, particularly, but in any group, most likely, if, if I said um, banjo, everybody would come out with a different word. Some people might have the same idea. So we have a problem with um, not following our obvious and being ashamed if someone else says the same idea as you. Like, um, that's a bad thing? I was like, no, that's a really beautiful thing. The two of you have been inspired in the same space. That means you two um, can develop this idea even more um, rather than be like, oh, I'm so unoriginal. Like, being original is just such a curse of a of a wish. So follow your obvious, stop trying to be brilliant and uh, say it out loud.
0: <laughs> yeah, I love it. And the great thing for me about improv as well is the the ability to collaborate so because you haven't, you know, rehearsed. And I know that we do rehearse, but you know what I mean? You haven't got to do it in quite the same way. You can get on, in theory, you can get on stage with someone as long as you know the format and the the rules of whatever it is that you're doing. You can make something happen, like how musicians mm. can improvise together. And that is kind of quite unique, I think, to an improv situation, isn't it, I guess?
1: Yeah. Um, well, I, I think, again, we are in more situations where we are collaborating without realising it and Mm. if we all learn to improvise we might just recognise the language of it a bit better so um, really our you know our parliamentary members should all be learning to improvise because they are literally in the middle of a place where they're having to make things up as they go along and it feels like those aren't necessarily connected moments Um, and that uh, but the problem is of course improv is is often connected to comedy Um, so, so people go, oh, well, it's not useful as a skill. I don't need to be a comedian. It's like, well, let's, let's get rid of the word comedy and just think about the word improvisation, meaning using what's available to you in the moment or working with what's available to you in the moment. Um, because even when we say making it up on the spot, sounds like anyone can do it. It's like, yeah, anyone can do it if they've done the training, like if they've done some um rehearsals like footballers you know they do their sit ups and they do their knee ups and they run around a field um learn how to play football and then when they go out and actually play another team that's when they're improvising um mm. so um so the co- the collaboration is is a really important part of the training because I don't know how much training you did but usually in, the first time someone comes uh, to a workshop they fall into usually two categories, either the over joiner inner or the under joiner inner. So you get someone who is either like, I'm going to be in every scene. I'm going to be really helpful. I'm going to be amazing. And actually they're not making any space for anyone else. Mm. And then the, or the other person who, uh, who doesn't join in because they're so worried that they're not going to be able to support someone's idea. Oh, you've probably got a better idea than I have. I'll, I'll wait till you say what you're going to say. So I'm, I'm set. I'm definitely supporting you. Um, so you're not, putting yourself in the space you're just there Mm. you're Mm. just there but you're not adding to it so you will leave feeling like oh i i was part of it but i didn't really join i didn't really join in i didn't feel like my i put my thread through it as it Mm. were
0: Mm. so that i'll be interested to know a little bit about so when you have groups on the circuit like um Ostentatious, um, Showstopper, these groups that seem to be just everyone's heard of them and all the other groups sort of aspire to be doing what they're doing. I Just as someone who was involved in that from the start, as far as I know with Showstopper, how did that position come about? What were the steps that sort of led to being... An industry leader—is that the right way to put it? I don't An know.
1: industry leader—that's how we like to be called. <laughs> before before any corporate, we say, "Please welcome industry Let's leaders, leaders. <laughs> the showstoppers." Um, no, we um, no, that's very kind, and um, we we do strive to improvise a musical to the standard of the West End, um, and I think that is one of the big um, game changers was. People coming along and saying, "I want." So we used to work with Ken Campbell, who's this amazing theatre director, oh, cool. Maverick. Have you heard of him? Yeah, yeah. He's, um, yeah, yeah, super duper, completely bonkers, amazing, inspiring man. And he used to say, "If you're gonna make it up, it better be better than if it was written down." Mm. So that was that was kind of our mantra, if you like. Um, so we know that we're not going to improvise. We're, we're not going to put it on stage. If it couldn't be mistaken for a West End musical. Um, and um, Ostentatious, Carrie Ad Lloyd, who's in Ostentatious, also worked with Ken. So there is a bit of a thread. Adam Magido, who's the artistic director of Showstopper, is the guest director of Ostentatious and also the guest director of uh, Mischief Movie Night, which is another one. So you can see there is a common thread of professional actor director man with um experience in the west end requesting that improvisation allows itself to be professional because i think i think it's not that it's not that that ability's not been there before it's almost like we've apologized for our stuff and hidden it in pubs and hidden it in small spaces and actually we went Fuck you guys. We're going to do it on the big stage with big lights and shiny things. And we're going to win Olivier's. Okay. Okay. Bye. Uh, so, um, so I think the, the ambition is, it, it was there, but also everybody in Showstopper is trained mm-hmm. as an actor or singer or comedian or a musician. So, um, so we also have people who have West End experience in musical theater running the show. And I think that's a big difference. So it's not the danger sometimes we get with improvisation is I'm an improviser. Therefore, I can do anything rather than I've got experience in Shakespeare, for example. I'm going to do an improvised Shakespeare show. It's like we go, oh, well, I'll just read one play and I'll improvise. And I say that for myself because I used to try and improvise Shakespeare and be like, why is it not working? It's like, because probably because you hate Shakespeare and you don't really know any of it. It's like, oh, it's interesting. It's interesting, isn't it? (laughs) Interesting I can't do it because I hate it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And how important do you think it is to have a – I don't want to say US – keep using all this corporate speak. A USP. Please. A a unique selling point or something that, say, you can point to and say that's what that show is. So ostentatious is an improvised Jane Austen. So you know – even though it's made up, you know pretty much what that's going to be. An improvised musical, you kind of know what it's going to be. Has that been useful? Because, I mean, we've all had the experience of being on the Royal Mile or whatever in Edinburgh and trying to fly a show that's, oh, well, it's this and it's a bit of that and it's this. It's quite hard to sell something that's, oh, we do everything.
1: Well, yeah, I think it's really clear sell. So, I mean, but I mean, it's a clear sell to say we're an improv group. We improvise sketches. We What's not a clear sell is when people go, I am an improv group and we improvise Harold's. Mm. And then people go, oh, What's a Harold? You go, oh, Well, it's a, oh, I what it is. 1984. <laughs> it's a, we're in Chicago. Yeah, like a. <laughs> and, and so we're already in um, improv internal land rather than going, Right, how can we get people. Who aren't interested in improvisation? In, interested in the show, so it's actually. So the USB is is really just going. Well, what what show? What's this show about? Um, uh, and because improv is a a tag on skill, like a bolt on skill, mm. it kind of needs some some format. Even if that format, like I say, is comedy sketches, um, so that the audience knows what you're going to improvise. Because if you say, "Come and see this improv show," They go. oh, what do you do? Oh, we just improvise. What do you mean? You just improvise? We just improvise. It could be anything, couldn't it? I could, I could improvise. It could be poems. It could be, um, I improvise maths. I improvise. You know. So, so just being really clear about what it is you're improvising, because because really uh, improvising any kind of theatre or uh, comedy is a, a sort of a homage. It's an instant way of of writing. Um, I think that's a good way to think of it. What are you instantly writing for this audience?
0: Mm. And that's an interesting point, actually, because I wanted to talk about um, when you've been involved with scripted things and so like your stage shows and your character shows, which I assume are a more scripted affair. Yeah, you you nod, but you never know. Um, (laughs) How much does the improv side of things work in the actual writing a show like that? do you know what I mean? Are you improvising yeah. in rehearsal and then that's becoming a written thing or is it sitting and writing? Is it a bit of a crossover?
1: It's a bit of a crossover for me. And um, I I think sometimes improv is really helpful for that because it, it helps you get through the, oh, this is terrible stage because mm. you're used to doing a first draft. You're, that's what you do every every time you perform, you're doing a first draft. So um, so just going, okay, I'm just going to write for half an hour and whatever comes out, I'm going to pick out the bits that are useful. what's not helpful about is your your bit of your brain is always thinking just make it up
0: (laughs) just make it it up
1: you don't need to learn this just make it up so i find refining scripts really hard because i have to make myself do it because a bit of me Mm. my little arrogant ego side incorrectly believes i could improvise a pitch perfect stand-up show (laughs)
0: I'm sorry to interrupt the conversation at this point, but I wondered if I could ask if you might possibly consider subscribing to the podcast, rating it, and writing a review on your favourite podcast provider. Doing these wonderful things encourages the all-powerful algorithms to push the podcast to new people. It's also helpful when I'm talking to potential future guests as it shows that people are listening. Thank you. So when you're on stage for a scripted show, so for a you know one-woman show, character show, whatever, If something occurs to you in the moment whilst performing, do you give yourself the permission to go with that or do you try not to?
1: Uh, Oh, no, no, I'll definitely go with it. My problem will be, because my memory's bad, which again, I think a lot of improvisers have this problem, is um, your memory goes because you <laughs> improvise so much content that your brain goes, okay, well, so we just, at the end of this show, I don't need to remember that, <laughs> gone. Mm. So I find it really hard. So what will happen is, we'll be like, oh, Robert, oh, he's got great headphones, let's talk about your headphones. <laughs> and then in my head, I'll be going, where did, what's Nick, where do you have to be? So um, when Ashani was playing, Ishani and plays piano for me, she would, on her on a keyboard, I would have to have stuck a bullet points of what I was doing. But then I was thinking, it's so weird, isn't it? Like when you watch a a band play, Mm. you're very happy to see their set list on the floor. But when you see a stand-up, it's almost offensive because because your job as a stand-up is to pretend that you're making it up. But as an improviser, I find that offensive because my job as an improviser is to make it up. So therefore, if I'm faking making it up, um, I'm doing a disservice to the people who are actually making up.
0: <laughs> <sighs> it's mad, isn't it, the way we put stuff in boxes? Like the one, the thing of like improv, from my experience, maybe I'm wrong, doesn't really work in comedy clubs in quite the same way that stand up does, um, and it, it needs a different setting. Perhaps am I am I wrong or?
1: Um no, no, you're not you're not wrong. I think it, but it has to be set up so it can work. So for example, the noise next door who are mm-hmm. fam, fabulous, hilarious, um they do junglers and all the the comedy chain clubs and um and they and they do brilliant sets, but it is like punchline, punchline It's like machine gun improv, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? So um so I would say it can um it really it will shape your your show. What won't you know, so in you don't do showstopper out on friday night jongleurs you know you don't go hey guys we just not take 20 minutes to a musical for you uh yeah so <laughs> so i think it's an, there's definitely a thing about the setting but it does again it comes back to knowing what you're delivering um mm-hmm. so as an improv group who are doing um a, a stand up night and to be fair like when i started which would have been 2004 or 5 um we used to do um short form games in in pubs in and and clubs so so it does it 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 can and does work just but it's very specific fast fire jokes Hmm. um whereas if you've learnt more long form or um you want to do something more theatrical it's just not the place to be
0: Hmm. Mm. (laughs) and where in showstoppers history was the The children's show, how soon did that come along? Because I think one of my favourite ever experiences of watching an improv show was a kids' show (laughs) that you guys did. Just because... Of the mad suggestions that the kids... So as crazy as adults might try and be with their silly suggestions and throw things out to throw you off, kids are just saying crazy stuff, but not to throw you off, it seems, just because that's what's coming to their head. So suddenly you're like, yeah, okay, we were in a hot air balloon and now we're in the centre of Mars. That's fine. We can do that. That's cool. So where did that kind of... In the development of the show?
1: They're so amazing, kids. We love doing that show so much. And one of the worst things about um, the pandemic for us as a, as a show has been that when we could do theatre for a bit, we couldn't do the kids' show because they couldn't shout out. So uh. there was no way for us to get the suggestions. So they, it would have been awful. We would have probably cried the whole way through. Anyway, um, we started so – we, so we did shows up in Edinburgh. So I feel like maybe 2010 – or 11 maybe we did we did a few kids shows but they were kind of like matinees of the adult show yeah and they were kind of like the normal show where we get you know the title and and musical theater styles and and all this stuff that we then and then we perform a show and the kids were really bored. And what we realised was kids are not impressed by grown-ups making things up. What they're impressed about is getting to tell grown-ups what to do. So <laughs> um, so that's when we started. Essentially, our show is a massive game of what happens next. Mm-hmm. So we get the name of the characters, and it's usually... We, we don't um, prescribe anything. It's just like, who's this character? And it often is Harry Potter or um, mm-hmm. some kind of Pokemon. And then... Um, <laughs> And then we'll play that character, and that was, and we'll just make up a song for them, and then yeah, we just go like, and who did they meet next? And we're like, a, a biscuit called Harold, and we're like, okay, great, I'm Harold the biscuit, <laughs> <laughs> and it's so it is really fun um, because in a sense, in a sense, we we're having to work less hard because the kids are doing the story work for us, so it it's really fun just watch, and they wrap it up like if you think how hard it is for grown-ups to learn narrative so that we can improvise stories, if you think when you, you learn long-form mm. improv and you're like, okay, uh, uh, five-point hero journey, okay, uh, 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 and you're doing, oh, it's a different kind of story. Um, and where kids, they just do it. They'll be like, okay, so the tiger needs to return back to the island. Uh, well, <laughs> of course, the penguin makes friends with the biscuit and they live happily ever after. You know, they just They know how to wrap a story up. Um, and the other thing we did that changed was uh, when we first started, we would quite be quite moral, um, <laughs> as in like a kid would be like, what? <laughs> What happens to the penguin? They'll be like, you get his eyes pulled out. <laughs> You'd be like, I don't think so. I don't <laughs> think we pull a penguins' eyes out, do we, boys and girls? Um, but actually, we realised we had to start pulling the penguins' eyes, eyes out. Actually. So, we got to do it. And so we started like killing people. Well, there was this amazing show, kids' show, in we were in Singapore on tour, and there was like four hundred kids in this theatre, and uh, we were we were going up a mountain. And and then we're like, what happens up the mountain? It's like a big mountain, load of mountain. They're like, they all get killed by an av- avalanche, and so we all died. <laughs> and then the the narrator was like, oh, <laughs> everybody's dead. <laughs> what are we gonna do? And you could see all the kids like just like looking at each other, going, oh. And then one of them just put their hands up and went. They all come back to life. <laughs> it was such a great moment. where They went, "Oh yeah, they've realised the story can't happen if there's no one to do the story if everyone's dead." Um, so it was really, that was, I really loved that moment because just because their little innocent face as they realised, okay, maybe killing everyone it wasn't the brightest idea.
0: That's great. The um, other thing with other people that you're talking about in these shows, it, for most of them anyway, just from observing from the outside everybody's very much involved in doing lots of different projects and making their own stuff and i'm always just chatting interested to talk to people on the podcast about how important making your own stuff is as opposed to trying to get somebody who'll ask you to do something how important has that been in in your development and your career
1: um when i first started doing comedy i had a very rigid plan Mm. that i was going to become very famous by the age of 29 and i would have my own tv show and i would be victoria wood and um my comedy mentor was neil malarkey who's one of the comedy store players and uh i just remember him being like "Mm -hmm." Uh, (laughs) and uh but he just said whatever you do make your own work just keep making your own work whatever happens doesn't matter how many auditions you get how many this or that make your own work and um And every time I had an audition and didn't get the part or Mm. had another run-in with whoever, I'd I'd send him an email, be like, it's rubbish, it's so hard. And he'd just reply, yes. So keep making sure you're making your own work. And he was so right. It was such great advice because if you're not making something that feels true Mm. and feels like a real expression of yourself, then you, um, yeah, you can easily disintegrate in this cruel, cruel industry um so making sure there's something that you can say that is mine and that, and again not put not putting that on it has to become the biggest most successful you know it doesn't have to be like a 90s film success of mm-hmm. you know those kind of so even my book like that was a that's a great thing i'm really proud of it i would not have thought i was going to write a book about improv your life actually i thought i was just doing a court little course that because mm-hmm. I was interested in it, so so that the so the intention was I'm just going to explore improv as a life skill. Um, so I think having having um, things you're working on because they come from a truth rather than things you're working on because you're hoping they're going to make you a star. It's the simplest yet hardest lesson of show business.
0: <laughs> and there's a certain element of just experience and maturity in that. I think isn't there? Yeah, Accepting yeah, because.
1: That. I think you can say it when you're younger, as in I think you, you you can like read it and know that it's true. But until you've kind of <laughs> had your heart broken a few times, you go like, oh yeah, no, I, now I know why that lesson is so important.
0: Actually,
1: mm. um, and a lot of my friends who went to drama school and did straight acting, you know, and um, and were ju- just just um, would get you know call from their agent have an audition, and that was as far as their. Um, commitment to acting went Mm. they've all pretty much given up um, performing and I think so so even if it's the tiniest thing if even if it's I'm going to keep learning new songs for my portfolio whatever I'm going to write some songs I'm going to research the history of all of these where all these songs came from whatever it is I think anything that gives you a sense of a deeper connection to the work you're doing is vital.
0: And the thing is, we're supposed to like this stuff, aren't we? That's like, the, I think it's quite easy to forget you're trying to make a career and do all those things. You can lose a little bit of the fact that hopefully the reason you started doing writing songs or being on stage or gardening or whatever it is, is because you really loved it. And mm-hmm. I think it's always worth trying to reconnect with that, whether it's learning something new. For me, so like with the music side of things, it's like for about six months, I didn't listen to any music for pleasure.
1: Mm-hmm. And then you sort of
0: go, I'm supposed to like music, I should probably listen to a bit of it and then they'll just be the one album that you happen across and you go, oh yeah, guitars are great, aren't they? (laughs) But I just haven't really thought about it for a while. Um, And perhaps that's one of the other advantages of this period of not being able to do our normal things is that when they come back, I wonder if we'll have slightly more open eyes on them.
1: Yeah, I I think we will, um, it will take us at least two weeks before we start moaning about matinees (laughs) again. Um, But uh, the... um, (laughs) But, the, but no, I think I think both those things. I think, first of all, we've had a chance to – we've had essentially an exclusion diet where <laughs> they've taken away all these things. We're like, oh, actually, two, those two things, I didn't really miss them. But that, I missed that so bad, and I'm going to never take that for granted ever again. Mm. Um, but also, it's given us time to sort of replenish the pond um, in, in in the artist's way. I don't know if you've read that, but Julia Cameron, she goes – she talks about overfishing your pond um, and she's like um so so we all burn out again quite early on mm. because we're like I'm gonna do 17 shows this week and I'm gonna sing all these and I'm gonna write all these songs and I'm gonna and you're doing so much stuff you're not actually giving yourself t- time to replenish the mm-hmm. pool of inspiration and she says yeah she says, so often we're overfishing our pond. And, and, I, and I say that to myself if I'm tired. I go, have you overfished your pond?
0: <laughs> well, that's the other side of doing your own stuff, isn't it? And trying to be alive to so many. And for me, it's just been interested in different things. You know, so, yeah, I could do a podcast. Oh, I want to write loads of songs. Oh, I want to be on stage. Uh, I want to be an actor. And it's all great because it's all stuff that I love. But there are those moments where you think, what's the other analogy? Digging oil wells. I've just got so far with that one. We'll stop there and move over here and we never quite get to that, yes. that oil scene. But, you know, they are fuck it. If you're interested in things, why not study them and why not do them?
1: Well, I think, again, it comes back to knowing why you're doing things. So, So going, am I stopping digging this oil well because I'm scared that if I go that far and, and then it doesn't work out, mm. I would have wasted my time? Or am I, yeah, so am I avoiding or am I finished?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: just checking in with that is a really helpful thing to do
0: mm. um and those points of view will change over time i guess as well i think i'd heard a, a thing that carrie i did said actually possibly i can't remember which podcast it was talking about that thing again of doing your own stuff and then there are voices who when you have a bit of mainstream success or whatever happens you'll have voices encouraging you to stop doing your own stuff and it's sort of that battle that people have of I've built this, and it's really good, and I enjoy it versus this opp- this amazing opportunity that we kid ourselves would be the thing to go for. I wonder if you've encountered that, and what kind of your reflections on that would be
1: um, well, I think it yeah, I mean I think you could easily get into doing lots of say if you if you had t v success you could easily just get offered loads of tv parts that you don't really want to do so uh, to go back to friends i believe um joey tribbiani matt leblanc mm. matt leblanc mm-hmm. um he he said so he sort of disappeared after joey mm. um for quite a long time before we did episodes and everyone was like oh he's probably having a breakdown he's probably doing this and he was like N- no i just didn't i just wanted to take some time um and everyone was like, "You're crazy!" Because obviously, it would have been offered a horrendous amount of horrific films, all that we'd now be able to watch on Netflix. But um, so, so to me, like that's a really brave thing to do because mm-hmm. we're so we're also so trained. You know, like Pavlov's dog to be like, apart a part a thing. We must do it. You know, we're we're freelance. We're used to things not coming, so so we're, you know, it's feast or famine. Um so having the bravery when you're offered. So I can imagine Carriad was probably offered a lot of TV presenting or things that um that she was like, Yeah, I could do that. I have got the skills, but is that is that really what I want to do? Would mm. I only be saying yes because I'm scared that nothing else will come along um so yeah so so my my reflection would be it takes a lot of strength to say no when you're offered a platter of um slightly of a slightly easier less but yet yet less satisfying life,
0: which comes back to what you mentioned earlier, i guess of being on stage when you don't know you don't need to be and saying yeah. say no to things when you don't have to
1: yeah and 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 um you know uh, you know the example of a bit of fame. It's not even... It happens... So with stand-up, um, you start doing quite well on the circuit. And so mm. within the circuit, you suddenly get offered all these gigs. And mm. a bit of you goes, oh, I have to say yes to all the gigs. So then you're gigging five nights a week. But you're, then you never have any time to write new materials. So then, actually, you start to go stagnant because you're always... Doing the same 20 because you're scared that if you don't do the good 20, then Mm. they'll never book you again. Yeah. So so it happens even even quite near the beginning as well is Mm. um, you don't have to do all the gigs. (laughs) Leave some space for other people.
0: Great. People, that's been so fascinating. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat to me. Remind us the name of the book and the best way that people can get in touch with you or check out what you're up to.
1: The book is called Improv, Your Life, an improviser's guide to embracing whatever life throws at you. Uh, And it is available from all of the places. But um, if you go to hive.co.uk, you'll be supporting local bookshops. Um, If you are listening to this and you're not based in the UK, um, there's a bookdepository.com is the best place to buy it from. It's also available as an audio book, if that's your preferred way of reading. (laughs) Um, I am uh, on Twitter. And Instagram, at I am Pippa Evans. And currently, I'm reading a bit of my book every day on Instagram. So, oh, do cool. come and join me.
0: And I did notice as well that um, Showstopper have a few live streams coming up as well. And you're doing a book event live stream, I think?
1: Oh, yeah. Well, well done. Really. Uh-huh. You know you know more about my life than I do. Um, <laughs> uh, you, you are planning my life. Um, this is... Yeah, so I'm doing a book event on the 18th of March with Fane. It's called Fane. So, if you just... I think I've put it on my website now. So if you go on my website, pipperevans.com, you'll find a link. Um, that's so that's like a online book launch partly workshop thing. And I do teach workshops as well. So if you want to come and do a workshop, you can find them there. And Showstopper The Improvised Musical does live streams. Um, at the moment, I think we do it once a month. We don't we we're obviously also having to be very agile with with the roadmap. And uh, so we'll we'll find out. But if you go to showstopper.com, com. <laughs> the I literally uh, just said this about an hour ago and I forgot. I forgot. <laughs> I can't remember that. Just look up the musical. you'll find it. Uh, yes, and come watch us online from wherever you are.
0: And out of interest, then, although I have already said bye, but just a question that's occurred to me. Um, how are the live streams working then? Are you guys together in a room and then taking yes. suggestions on. Yeah.
1: So there's four of us, four actors sat um, around the room. It's like a big theatre. Um, and they've got the theatre's got that rake seating, you know, like schools have where you can push it back in. Um, so that's pushed right in. We've got four seats, um, two and a half or three metres from each other. They've got the host character. We've each got a camera on our face and then we've got mm. the band, which is a, a pianist and percussion. Uh, and then we have the tech, sound tech, Oscar, He's stuck in the kitchen. And then Damo, who's in charge of making sure that we're all safe and everything's working, he has to stand at the top of, a, like, a ladder. <laughs> <laughs> So to make sure that we're all distance. So, yeah, so we're all in the same room. And that's because we decided that there was no way we could do what we do, what we deliver, without being in the same room with each other. There's no recording device currently that doesn't have a good enough um that's a good enough problem with lag. That's not the correct sentence, but it doesn't have a sufficient way of not having lag uh, <laughs> that, that we wouldn't be able to improvise in real time. And then that's beamed into the internet and uh, people watch it on YouTube. So there's one other person in the room who is the person who sits on the chat <laughs> and chats with the people. And I, so I've done that a few times. And the first time I did it, there was like maybe 400 people watching. Wow. And so if you imagine like 400 people are watching, then you've got maybe 150 people will be writing something. So it was quite fun. Um, The last one we did, we had 1,200 people watching. (laughs) So the chat was like, (laughs) and we could, I was, I was, I've never had to work so hard in my life, just sat there, just staring, almost not blinking having to go through and we encourage people. So like if we say what's a musical style we want um, and um, someone says Hamilton, rather than having like a thousand people say Hamilton, what we prefer is if someone says Hamilton and then someone says, yes, great idea, you know, second to Hamilton, third to Hamilton. Um, but it means mm. that if you've got that many people that scrolling, you have to then scroll back to try and figure out who the hell said Hamilton first um, so that you can go, oh, thank you, you know, um, <laughs> Imelda for your, suggestion of hamilton um so yeah it's quite funny trying to manage the chat when uh, there's that many people but we we figured it out so um yeah lots of fun
0: great pippa thank you so much for taking the time to chat to me i've really enjoyed that thank you rob that has been a joy thank you for listening i hope you enjoyed that join us next time on the robert lane creative careers podcast until then please subscribe rate and review and have a look at robert music.co.uk to see the other projects i'm working on thank you goodbye